What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 178 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Heath Armstrong from the Never Stop Peaking podcast. As you know, I love all the people I interview. I get so much inspiration from every single one of them, and I just find this kinship with every single guest I have. But on occasion, there's a guest that comes on that I feel an instant connection with, whether it's the sound of their voice, their life story, where they're at in life. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but Heath is one of those people. I instantly felt so relaxed talking to him. I was so intrigued by his story and how he's been handling his life, pursuing his hopes and dreams, where he came from, where he's at now. And I could track a lot of the steps that he's gone through, that he's overcome, that he's persevered through, and able to apply the things that he's done to get through those moments into my life and where I'm at now with my entrepreneurial journey. It's really fascinating the way he's taken his entrepreneurship online, creative, streams of income that are fully automated, utilizing you know virtual assistants in the Philippines, and some really interesting technology that allows him to do what's called online arbitrage, where he finds products for one price on one website, and then he sells it through Amazon for a different price point, and he makes that difference. And if you don't really know what that means or understand what I'm talking about, have a listen to this episode because he goes really in-depth on what he does. And again, it's just another example of somebody doing something so interesting, utilizing the power of the internet to design a very cool location-independent life for himself. So if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone at the subscribe button. If you like this episode and want to share it, Heath and I would be honored. And if you want to rate it and comment on it as well, we do appreciate that also. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, please head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. And with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Heath Armstrong. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Heath Armstrong from the Never Stop Peaking podcast. Heath, how are you today, my friend? Crushing it, man. Mount Crushmore all the way. Yeah, what what's uh what what are you crushing today, my friend? Love, happiness, life, um, just really settling into not freaking out over things, you know, the the most important part of life. Yeah, I, I kind of get that impression from your podcast, uh, your website, HeathArmstrong.com, that you have recently, I guess, in the last five years or so, kind of come into a headspace that. This is kind of what you promote and what you try to live by is this very like love, happiness, blissful <laughs> persona, if you will. Is that kind of what I understand just from the research I've done? It is, man. But there's a deep shadow side, too, that comes along with that, right? Like it's it's really about – I mean for me, I, I was in the construction industry in Kentucky for a long time and I was around so many closed-minded, dark, you know, just – conversations and energies and it was a very crippling thing to be around and I thought you know as I started learning stuff about how you can shift your mind or you can create habits that help you um, 
how could you ever get someone like these people that were around me to understand something like that? And it really did come down to like understanding that you have to love your dragons just as much as the light side of yourself. So it is a lot of happiness and, and love, but it's, it's a lot of understanding the things that you have to get, you know, over to be able to be more in that blissful state more often. Was that something that was always kind of, I guess, groomed into you as you grew up? Or is this kind of one day you decided to take responsibility for yourself in your life and go seek out how you could undo all the knots and negativity in yourself? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was not groomed into me. I mean, love my parents, love everything about my childhood. But, um, you know, it was very it was very closed off and closed minded. I actually I didn't know anything other than just you know, going to school and getting blackout drunk and doing as many drugs as possible and, you know, dating girls or whatever you do, watching sports. Um, it took some pretty hard rock bottom moments for me, I think, to start making transitions. In October 2011, one was pretty abrupt where I just – I went to like a Catholic Oktoberfest thing in Lexington, Kentucky, and I, I don't know, eight eight to ten hours later woke up face down, pants down on my garage floor with the garage open. Um, I remember holding a empty bottle of liquor and, and there was some blood coming out of one of my nostrils. My dogs stayed. I mean, the door to my house was actually open. My car was running in the front yard. My dogs didn't run away. They were just kind of sitting there looking at me. And I remember the way that they looked at me, man. And it was like the most I don't have kids, but I can imagine that if you were in that position and you had a child looking at you the way that they were looking at me, it was, it was one of those kicks to the stomach. Like, wow, this is something that has to start changing, but I know I want to change, but I'm crippled. You know, I, I have these really dark thoughts where I just want to end everything, but I really have this light side too, that knows that if I, I can just figure out a way to get through this. Um, I could be a, a gift to the world as well, but fear ruled my life, man. It was, it was tough, and I had to work through that for sure. It wasn't something that was just there from the beginning. Wow, dude. Thank you for being so transparent. I mean, I think myself can included can definitely understand some of those blackout moments where it's like, how did <laughs> I wind up in a neighbor's house who I don't know, passed out between the toilet and the uh, sink? And I'm just like, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> I broke into somebody's house. But the... Um, question i have is like 2011 to 2020 right now that's you know almost a 10-year span was it like that day you woke up face down in your garage that you decided to make that change or was it something that you've been working on ever since i met a stranger on a plane three years before that and he put a seed in the back of my mind um i was i was flying to a job interview in houston texas this guy got on a plane. He had brands all over him. He's covered in tattoos. He had a bald head. I was judging him immediately because that's what I was groomed to do back then in, you know, Southeast United States. I mean, I was just, ra I was around that type of thing. Like everything's judgmental. You look at somebody that's different, you judge them. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, this guy sat down next to me and he smelled like shit. And I was like, I cannot believe that he sat next to me. You know, this is going to be terrible. But he did something that day that changed my life forever. And he forced himself to talk to me and he had really, it was like the first time I really like felt somebody's energy or presence. And he asked me what I was doing. And I explained that I was going to, you know, a job interview or whatever. I think I even lied about what I was going to do because I was embarrassed that I was working in the concrete construction industry or something. 
And he didn't care at all about what I told him. His only question, like the only thing he cared about was the next question. And he said, all right, cool. Well, do you love it? And I was like, what do you mean love it? Like, I, I, no one had ever asked me that question before. Like, no, I'm doing this for money. I'm doing this for a career, for status, for whatever. Why would I have to love it? And I, and I paused on that and I thought about it. Um, he's one of my great friends now. His, his father is actually Dan Miller, who has a huge podcast uh, and is a big time author. And all these other weird universal synchronies folded out from that story later. Um, but he was being extradited by Rwanda. He was being extradited by NATO from Rwanda for fighting for gender equality. He had been in prison for four months over there. And this guy gets on a plane trying to get back to his family, like for the first time. <laughs> and he sits next to me, right? And, and he asked me this question. And I had that blackout moment in 2011, which was just one of many. And in 2014, I had another one that was really bad. And every time I just kept getting this, like, this memory of him because he had sent me a book by his father that was called No More Mondays. And it was literally a story about how you could stop living this life where you feel like, oh my God, it's Monday. Because it was like Saturday I was depressed because the next day was Sunday and it was close to Monday. Sunday I was depressed because the next day was Monday. It was like there wasn't a day of the week where I wasn't thinking about how close it was to Monday and having to go back to work. And I just started realizing, man, like if you have not been paying attention, I mean, basically, if you haven't been listening to, to yourself or if you have been paying attention so little that you don't realize that you have a job that you hate or you're in a relationship that you don't want, or you have a body that you don't like, or you're addicted to a bunch of shit to provide yourself with thrills so that you can forget about your lack of like sustainable happiness, well, then you're pretty fucking ripe for a sledgehammer to the face from the universe in some way. Maybe that is waking up face down, pants down in your garage. Maybe it's just understanding that you don't like anything or anyone around you and it doesn't fit your lifestyle. Uh, maybe you maybe you find yourself unhealthy or you have some kind of physical reaction because you haven't been taking care of your body. But a rock bottom moment, a warning, a transition, an opportunity. Um, and it was just that's how it all flowed. It was like ah, it's just like I have goosebumps right now just thinking about it, man. Like now you're oof. giving me goosebumps, too, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're very articulate in how you kind of present this like this information because it's so interesting how you. You're obviously searching, you're an explorer, you're out there looking for whatever you're looking for, but then you still have these like self-destructive cycles that kind of popped up, you know, one in 2011, one in 2014, probably a few scattered in between. And then I guess I'm trying to get at like, when was, what was the moment when you're just like, enough's enough? So when I kept getting those seeds from him, 2014, I had my last rock bottom moment where it was just another really, really bad blackout bonanza where I just – I was done, man. And I remember I crawled downstairs. I had a house at this time that I purchased. I had a jacuzzi tub in my bedroom in the basement. <laughs> I had I had like five fish tanks and like five tele- – I mean it was, re- it was ridiculous, man. Um, and I crawled into this bathtub and I just – this is really funny because we were – what we were talking about before the show with, with um, John Lee Dumas, but – um, I, I crawled into that bathtub. It was 2014. It was February, I believe. And I was done. And I, I opened up my phone because I was, I was just going to like play a, um, a song from my phone just to like calm myself down. And I, it was the first time I realized that 
Apple had forced the i or the podcast app onto your phone. So I clicked on it, and the very first thing that popped up was this episode of Entrepreneur on Fire, and it was with a woman named Amber Vilhauer. And I listened to that episode, and it was probably one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. And her story was so similar to mine. Like her her pre-transition story was almost exactly what I had been feeling and going through, as well as her skill sets and what she was working on, you know, like trying to get through doing some kind of you know WordPress and learning some things on the internet to help people with types of marketing. And and there was something so comfortable in her voice that I'm introverted like you. And I don't necessarily ever reach out and talk to people or ask for help and things, and it can be crippling. But there was something in her voice that was like, reach out to me. So I found her on Facebook and I sent her a message. And I never thought in a million years she would reply, but she replied immediately. And she said that she wanted to do a call with me. I don't, I have the message screenshot saved somewhere. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but I ended up getting on the phone with her and she did two things. One, she, completely reframed the way that I thought about myself as far as being able to succeed. And she connected me to two people that changed my life forever. One was Hal Elrod, who is, you know, the miracle morning, um, author, international bestseller of that practice. And the other one was Paul Kemp, who was a guy who used to run a show called the app guy podcast. And Paul, for no reason at all, took me under his wing and just started showing me how to do things online like podcasting and, you know, working and marketing, like just, just random things for no reason. He was just this nice guy that was like, Hey, you want to make a transition and create this life that you love? Let me show you some things that I've learned. Um, I talked to him every week and then how obviously I just adopted his morning routine and practice and meditation, um, habits and was able to make a mass transformation in my life to get away from drinking heavily and to create some sort of healthy foundation for my mornings that would allow my day to unfold in a way that I could actually progress. And through the podcasting outlet with Paul, I figured out that if I wanted to make changes, what, what were the things I wanted to change? So I started writing them down and I realized that the only way I was going to be able to learn how to do these things was to find the people that are doing them and ask them how they're doing them. And so that's what I started doing. I started that first podcast, which was called The Artsy Now Show back in 2014. And I never looked back, man. Every single one of those episodes, as you know, when you talk to people, is you learn something and you build a little bit of a network. And I was able to take all of these amazing, magical things I was learning and put them into systems that would allow me to just not only make personal transformations and, and optimize my health, but to move forward into um, building businesses and, and writing and helping other people and getting away from my job eventually. And it's, it's been, it's crazy to think that it's only been six years, five and a half years, but it feels like my lifetime for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like you just really took the bull by horns and, and dove right into it and didn't look back. Um, I mean, that's impressive, dude. I've been at this five years and, um, I definitely achieved a lot in my podcasts and my businesses, but nowhere near where I want to be and thought I would be. So I'd like to start peeling back the layers of that. And, you know, you were in what? Are you from Kentucky originally? I'm from Tennessee. Okay. And, but you yeah. were, you grew up in a builder family or did you just get into that line of work after high school or after college? <laughs> no, my mom was, sorry, my mom was kind of a single mother from 
my dad, obviously I have a relationship with my dad and he's amazing, but they got divorced when I was pretty young and I lived with my mom and she was always just a waitress and he was in the insurance industry. So there was no real background of builders at all. I actually went to college because I was interested in geology and they dropped the geology degree where I was at. And the next best thing was like geotechnical engineering because I had some core classes that matched. That's how I got into that. And it literally took over the next, you know, 10 years of my life. But I wouldn't go back and change anything because I learned I had to get myself in that position where I hated my life so much to be able to create this life that I have now. There's no doubt about it. If I would have gotten comfortable, which I think so many people do, if I would have been in a job that I kind of liked it, but I didn't really hate it too much, but I can just sustain it, you know, I think that I would have probably gotten stuck in that forever. And that's a that's a dangerous thing. Like comfort is a super dangerous thing. It is, dude. And I think about that a lot with people who have means and grew up with means and they don't necessarily um, have, I guess they always have the opportunity, but they don't necessarily have to put themselves in situations that they don't want to do because they can always just test like, oh, I might like this. So they test it because they have a, a financial uh, support that they don't ever have to really like go do a job that they fucking hate. So now they can contrast a job that they fucking hate with a job that they kind of <laughs> like, you know, and the kind of like is yeah. a better step than fucking hating, you know? So it's like that contrast really kind of gives you perspective. And it sounds like um, you through just the circumstances found yourself in a situation where you had enough things to contrast. that so you're like, this is not for me. <laughs> Dude, there are, there are times where I'd be standing in like, I stood in a gas station one time in a little town called lovely Kentucky. And I watched this lady order a subway sandwich. Subway was the only restaurant that they'd have like fast food chain that they'd have anywhere out there. Um, and it was just bread and like five layers of mayonnaise. And then she had it heated up and in that moment, I was standing there like she was just like, more mayonnaise, please. And they were like, anything else? And I was behind her and I just kind of looked around and was like, it was like, how, how did I get here? Like what, what kind of warp, like what kind of warp did I get myself into? How did I get here? And other times where I was on job sites where like there were dudes on the bridge decks throwing bottles of urine down at people that were on the ground working. And it was just like, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm better than being here. It's not at all what I'm saying, but it's not ultimately where I envision myself being, you know, and I think that there's somewhere else I can contribute and be a lot more effective uh, than I am in this, in this place. Just out of curiosity, what university did you go to or college? I went to middle Tennessee state and also the university of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, Cause Vanderbilt is in Tennessee. Is that correct? Yeah. That's in Nashville. Okay. Really close to Middle Tennessee State, actually, about 40 minutes. Okay. Not relevant at all to the story. Just uh, curious <laughs> because uh, being in Nicaragua for as many years as I was, there's a historical little fact that um, uh, Vanderbilt built his university there to say, like, a big fuck you to William Walker, who was from Tennessee. And <laughs> William Walker had a huge battle in Nicaragua back in the 1800s over, you know, William Walker. Really? Yeah, trying to take over. Nicaragua as and become king in Nicaragua while Vanderbilt was trying to run people from New York to San Francisco for the gold rush using the Rio San Juan. And so they got a like, huge beef and like ultimately Vanderbilt won and had him killed. And so he went and put a <laughs> university with his name in his hometown just to say like, remember me forever. Interesting. Dude, story. I, I love, I, I went to Nicaragua in 2017 and I, I really loved it. That is a cool story. 
Yeah, it's a magical place. And if you ever want to read that book, it's called Tycoon's War. And I'll put that in show, show notes for the audience as well. Um, but yeah, this is cool, man. So yeah, I love the fact that you you know had all these interesting people kind of coming into your life and planting these seeds, and then serendipitously, I guess, coming back through, or you know those lessons that you learned kind of coming back to the surface. And then what'd you do? So you now kind of meet Paul, and he's kind of given you the key to the castle with all this knowledge of how to make money online and and did you take to it immediately was this something you knew you wanted to do um or did you have the skills to do it because i know for myself this whole online endeavor has just been a nightmare trying to learn it so it's like <laughs> tell me it's more. a never-ending battle uh, i i didn't have the skills i was messing around with making websites when I was younger, but it was all, you know, a little bit of HTML using like macro media Dreamweaver, old school stuff. I was at first trying to learn how to do like PPC ads and I knew nothing about it. And I got, you know, I, I became a member of some forum. It was like PP, so ppccoach.com or something back a long time ago and was paying like monthly. And, and I'm pretty sure the whole thing was a scam, but because it was like you had to stay on there for a month and then it would unlock the next lesson for you. And it was like so you had to pay over and over again, but you couldn't get access to all the information. But I remember thinking like this dude who's running this is just sitting in his boxers at home like that is cool. Like I wonder if there's something else I can do that could allow me to do something similar. And so I was trying to take the skills that I did have, which were basically engineering for – you know, designing different types of concrete mixes and stuff, as boring as that sounds, um, and then transition that into learning something that I wanted to figure out, which was basically web design. So I started putting together like just basic WordPress sites from themes and installing stuff on, you know, um, HostGator, whoever I was using back then, just a random cPanel install. And I made this website that was called ConcreteHelper.com. <laughs> And it had, and it's still up today. It's still the old original version. It's ridiculous. Um, not mobile friendly. And it's just a, a bunch of these different calculators that I had been using and creating within the industry I was working. And I realized that like there was nothing on the internet like that anywhere. And that every one of these old construction companies was just using this outdated types of calculations and old spreadsheets and stuff. So I was like, I'm going to put these things online so I can learn how websites work. And at the same time, it's going to make me look really good in the industry so I can get a better job. And maybe I can find a job that allows me to work from home so that I can then actually not really work as much, but do more on my own to try to build a business on the side. And then maybe one day I'll be able to take over and just do that business full time. And so it was kind of calculated and I built a site and it actually started getting crazy amounts of traffic, but I had no idea how to monetize websites. But what was happening was I was getting messages from all these different magazines in the construction industry and media companies saying, hey, come run our magazine company or like come be the, the editor in chief of our – I got offered to go work ahead of the website department for Concrete Construction Magazine. <laughs> and I knew nothing about – any of the jobs that they wanted me to do, I was like, no, nah, man, I just like sit here and get high and like try to figure out how to put these spreadsheets on a site. Like it's just, I didn't feel confident in myself at all. So I, I never took any of the jobs, but what did happen was I did, I did get a better job out of that, but not before one big, one big life lesson in between. As I learned how to make websites, I started my first company, which was called loosed media. 
And I got one website job client and it was a holiday end in Tennessee. And it was with one of my friends who was just a party animal. And we built this website for $8,000 just because he had like an end to somebody working there. And they, it was the craziest amount of money to me, man. Like I was making like $40,000 a year, maybe at that time. Um, and I, I just, we got that chunk of money and I was like, oh, well, now that I have $3,000 in my account, I'll just quit my job and we'll just get another one of these websites. <laughs> and uh, it's cool that we're mentioning this because I haven't actually thought about that in a long time. I quit my job um, and I started working from this house that I was renting in Kentucky. And within like a month, I was like, oh, wow, I'm out of money. Nobody wants to build. Nobody wants us to build websites for them. We have really nothing to show them except for this one website. And when we do quote them, they're like, they don't want to pay more than like two or $300. So it's, that's not enough to sustain. I'm probably going to have to get a job again. And it was brutal. Like it was like, I, I left my other job. I could have probably stayed there and gotten a good recommendation, but I didn't. Um, so I went back to work and luckily because I had built that concrete helper website, it was enough to get me considered for a much better job in that industry. And I, I did end up getting an outside sales position where I was able to work from home part time. And so then it all just started from there. Um, as I got that position and started working from home, I was interviewing people and doing the podcasting. Um, and I started plugging pieces into, in, into place. And I, I basically started another web design company. I shut that first one down because the dude that I was working with took out a bunch of money from the ATMs, bankrupt the account and was buying massive amounts of cocaine with it. When I called the bank, they were like, the dude taking the money out knows the pin. I learned a lesson there. Don't start businesses with your party, crazy friends from college. Uh, I started another one that was just my own web design company and I started actually doing web design stuff with other companies within the concrete industry. And it was just, you know, it is what it is. I was making a little bit of money here and there, but it was nothing special. I ended up shutting that one down and trying to start an app design company. And I was going to coding schools and trying to learn how to do mobile apps. That failed after I lost my confidence at pitch competitions where they were looking at us like we were fucking crazy because really we had no business there trying to make apps because... I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship. I didn't know how to sell anything. All I knew was I had an idea and I wanted to make it, but had no idea how to make that happen. Um, and then eventually I started a company that actually wasn't ever formed as a company, but I was trying to start something called Podcast Pal. And it was basically just a on-demand service for getting podcasting services done while I was doing my podcast. So I had some clients doing that and I was like, okay, I'm editing podcasts and I'm offering these services and I'm getting this website built where people can sign up for different tasks. It was kind of like WP curve, but for podcasting in a way. And, um, it was just like me sitting there realizing that I'm working all of these hours with my job where I'm going to work at 3 AM and I'm getting off at five or 6 PM. I'm trying to do podcasts in between. I'm waking up in the morning. I'm, I'm at, I'm like literally stopping at rest areas, driving during work or going to my client's offices and acting like I'm working on stuff. And I'm, I'm editing podcasts like in their offices while they think I'm doing like a mix design for concrete or something. And it, it just got to the point where I was like, I'm trading all of my time for money doing these podcasting services. And it, it was like a rock bottom. Is this, is this ever going to work? Cause I'm just pouring all of my extra money into these projects that are just sucking it away and I'm not making anything ever. I, I wasn't making a dime. And, um, then it, then it took a big twist after that, which we can get into 
uh, if you want as well. Yeah, I'd love to, but let's just, I just want to ask one question about just your entrepreneurial spirit. Like, is this something you think you were born with, or is this something that just through the circumstances of your life situation, you just kind of were pushed into and have just kind of evolved and learned and then applied over time? You know, I think, I think we're all born with a certain level of motivation. It's just that this world kind of teaches us that we need other things to be motivated or to become this person that we're supposed to become. I always had trouble paying attention and following rules. And I had a lot, I was excelled even when I was an alcoholic, like I was, I was accelerating. I was a high functioning alcoholic and I could get jobs done, but I hated it. It was miserable. So I think in a way I was probably born to not, you know, not conform, um, to peel back those layers that society puts on us and really figure out my own way. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it until way later. I didn't know it until I actually started doing things for myself and building confidence that I could in fact sustain if I could just trust it a little bit. Uh, but I doubted a lot and I, I really crumbled to resistance and fear and anxiety. And, and it was really hard. It was really dark and it, it caused a lot of problems in relationships and, and health and, you know, you want something so bad, but you can't always see the final destination. You know, you can see just so far that your headlights show you, but you can't actually see the end until you get there. Um, and you don't really know what kind of streets you're going to pass on the way. But if you know where you're going, you know, the destination exists, you can get there. It's just, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. So yeah, I, I was not, I was born with it, I think, but well, I mean, you were born, like you said, with something that's driving you, and then you I'm sure you meet people where you're like, oh, that person's a natural entrepreneur. Like, they're dynamic thinkers, they're quick thinkers, they can think on the spot in a way that you like, or for me, this I'm talking about myself, like, I'm like, I would have never thought about that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like negotiation or something like that, where I'm just like, oh, this is kind of more natural for them, the way their brain works. Um, however because I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, but I do consider myself somebody like you who's like, there's something driving me. I can't really fit in to the nine to five format formula. Like I have to figure this out. So I relate in so many ways to what you're saying. And I can see myself, if you were to chart like a, a line and, and plot the different like phases, like I can see myself at the exact phase you were at where it's like, nothing's working dude like i need yeah. this to work soon so let's jump into that like when was the turning point and when did all these like you know attempts and failures kind of come to a point where it's like oh shit like now this is working what happened people the, the interviewing process it's people it's people that are that are willing to help people that are willing to share stories people that are willing to give you motivation cuz those people that we listen to and we think they're brilliant they're genius they're born for this they have just as big of a shadow side and just as big as anybody, like hurdles, darkness, like all of it, probably even more so than, than you can imagine. Because, you know, the higher you go, the lower you have to go to spring off that trampoline to get there. And it is a series of peaks and drops. There's no doubt about it. It's, I, I just started getting into more and more interviews and I was in a hotel room in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was seeing a client, uh, for my job. And I, I had a breakdown cause I was like doing podcast editing in this hotel room. And I was like, I hate this. I hate this almost as much as I hate just doing my job, like trading my time for money. This is not making me happy. I'm not making money. 
Um, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of by some of these clients and the podcast and things like that. And my, at that exact same time, my, I was, I just had a big decision to make. It was like, am I going to, am I going to, to shut this thing down and like go back into work and just try to start from something square or what else is happening? And Jason Moore called me, Jason Moore runs the zero to travel podcast. He's a good friend of mine. And and he was actually just a mentor at the time because I had, I had always been listening to his podcast, which is about how to create a life where you can travel the world. And I had messaged him through email and stuff and he had helped me and was just very inspirational. He's like a great sense, sensitive, like just amazing person. And he just randomly called me, man. He, it wasn't something that he did, but he did. He just randomly called me and I was like, Oh, that's weird. Jason Moore's calling me. And he was like, Hey man, I just wanted to check in. I was, for some reason you just popped in my head and I thought I'd call and see what you were doing and see how everything was going. And I was it's like, that's interesting, man, because I'm having a really tough time. And he was like, yeah, what's going on? And I just kind of explained the situation to him. And I had this other guy who I just interviewed for my podcast who told me that he was trying to figure out ways how to sell things online. And he had told me that basically if I started doing some of this stuff that he was doing, you know, I could start selling things online and then I could actually make money and maybe create some side income doing it. But I was indifferent on whether I was going to do that or not because it required you going to stores, scanning things on shelves, taking them home, packing them up, shipping them into Amazon, and then waiting for them to sell. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to feel like I'm working at a Walmart because I'm in there all day scanning shelves. Um, but there was something in my gut that kind of was leaning in that direction, but I wasn't allowing myself to honor that intuition. And Jason he was like, look, man, just act like you're flipping a coin. He's like, cause he goes, think about this. If you close your eyes and you sit here and you take option A, continue doing your podcast editing or option B, move towards this, you know, trying to learn how to sell stuff on Amazon and create this new skill set. Really envision yourself in those lives. What, you know, lifestyles, which one makes you feel more alive and more happy? Well, I didn't really know what the Amazon one would make me feel like because I hadn't done it yet but it was at least exciting because mystery creates excitement. Right. But I knew what the podcasting one felt like because I was doing it and it didn't feel very good. So he's like, it's like when you flip a coin and you know that there's one side that you kind of want it to land on before you even flip it. It just kind of confirms there's barely ever where you flip one and you don't really care which one it lands on. You always kind of know. And in that moment I made this decision with his help to be like, ah, and I'm going to shut this podcasting down and I'm going to try this e-commerce stuff. Well, dude, I, Little did I know that it, that was 2014, um, that by the end of 2016, I would have done my first six-figure month in e-commerce. So that's a, that's a massive number to grasp in anything, really. That doesn't mean that I have a shit ton of money here and that I'm st- sitting on you know dollar bills everywhere and that I'm extremely wealthy. It doesn't mean that at all because I'll tell you, I've lost everything multiple times and rebuilt multiple times since then. But for a kid to go from having this job to all of a sudden figuring out, so basically I took all the systems and things that I was learning from Paul and, and like automating the editing and upload of blogs and podcasts and things. And I started to apply that to this e-commerce thing. How can I you know, find and source products automatically and then 
buy them and get them uploaded without me actually having to hold them or touch them? How can I get them sold without me having to physically be in a warehouse trading my time for money? And I just did one little baby step at a time. And, and yeah, in December, 2016, I did a $109,000 in sales. I did a hundred and I did a hundred thousand the next month as well. Um, and I had many other months between, you know, before and after that, that were all averaging somewhere between 40 and $80,000 a month. Um, I left my job in May, 2016. So just six months before that first six figure month and leading up to that, I did probably December, 2015, I did 27 K and then it went to 30 and then it went to 40. Then I got comfortable enough to say, okay, I've paid my debt off. I sold my house. I sold everything I had. Um, I got everything down to just a vehicle and I'm like, I'm going to move to the Pacific Northwest because that's where I want to be. It's more people that think like me. Uh, it's, it's more inspirational based on the people I had been talking to with my podcasting. Uh, just the type of person that was out there seemed more encouraging for somebody who is creative or as an entrepreneur. And yeah, I got rid of 1,711 items that I owned, counted every single one of them, took pictures of all of them. Um, I sold the house like clockwork, moved, and it was just surreal in June 2016 being across the country, not having the job, working for myself, and then ramping that up over the next six months to doing my first six-figure month. Um, it was it was Looney Tunes, dude. It was fucking – it was Looney Tunes. It was like a disco party. Dude, well, congratulations, number one, and what an inspiration for me just to hear this right now because it's so relevant. And I'm so inspired to continue to keep plugging along and keep trying because I'm kind of moving this year into e-commerce as well. What were you actually selling to make those kind of numbers? The very first thing I sold was a cheese grater <laughs> that I bought from like Marshalls or something. I was buying them by the box. And that was when I was doing something called retail arbitrage. And that was physically going to stores, scanning shelves, bringing things back, selling them. Once I automated it, it came down. So the guy that I had interviewed on my podcast, his name is Jason Berwick. He's co co-founder of rage create. Um, he's one of my best friends today. Still talk to him more than anybody else probably because we run our teams together and we both have separate e-commerce businesses, but we share rage create as well. And, um, he's brilliant, but he has just as many problems as me. You know, he's, he's genius, but he's just as fucked up as I am. And there's something beautiful in that partnership to where, yeah, we, we, we just were able to make things work. Um, sorry, what was your, what was the original question that you just asked me? I blanked That's it there. Right. No worries. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff are you selling? I know you're doing the retail arbitrage. So it oh, yeah, yeah. like, how, how'd you automate? Were you just move into a drop shipping model after that or what? It was, so we, after the cheese graters and stuff, it was, we moved to the online, um, version, which is just called online arbitrage. And we basically we're getting programs and teams together that would scrape full websites like Walmart or Sierra trading posts. And basically what these tools were that we were using were you could scan an entire website and it would take the products that are on that website and it would automatically match them to Amazon product pages on Amazon. And then it would spit out the differences in price, the profit potential, the ROI potential, you know, your buy cost, your sell costs, like average selling price over 90 days, all of these amazing metrics. When I started seeing metrics like that, it kind of kicked the engineering part of my brain. I was like, oh, I can do metrics. Like 
I understand this. Like, let me study these patterns and these trends and these charts and see, see what can be created out of it. And so it was everything, all different types of stuff that we were selling, man. But mostly sports and outdoor gear and started heavy with children's uh, merchandise like Paw Patrol and, uh, you know, Disney movie merchandise and things like that. And it didn't matter to me what we were selling at first because all that mattered was like seeing that I could be successful creating these systems. That was what was so fascinating and passionate to me. But over a couple of years, I started to realize like how much this was contributing to mass consumerism in a way, like how much plastic, how many boxes are going out because of these shipments, especially when you're doing big months like I was doing and how I really wasn't passionately attached to any of those products. Um, or, you know, I, I know that some of those things were bringing people joy, but surely with the knowledge and the metrics that I had been studying, I could somehow start to create things that actually helped people discover, you know, themselves and what makes them happy and then do some good in the world and create some sort of light effect as opposed to, um, basically, you know, to pay off all the, the black cloud shit that I'm owed for from when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. all, the, all the days back then, you know, <laughs> karma, um, but I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to move into something that was more passionate and I, I always loved the writing. So in the beginning it was mainly just sports, outdoor gear, beauty, toys, things like that. Now, just so the audience and I can understand a little bit better when you're doing, you know, online arbitrage, these, these products that you're you're scraping off of say targets website, it's popping up comparing to Amazon and then where are you purchasing it from? And then where are you sell and where are you selling it from? And to, yeah, so we would purchase directly from the websites. So like Target and, is selling it at this price, which is cheaper right. than the price that you're going to go sell it at, what, on Amazon? Yeah, what most people don't realize is that Amazon's prices are generally inflated for the majority of things on the website. Um, you can you can actually find a lot of those things cheaper elsewhere. It's not necessarily true for everything because there are great deals on Amazon, and I buy a lot of things on there, but I know what I'm doing as well. Uh, we would buy things from stores like Target, and if you think about it, there's over a million. There's probably two million third-party sellers on Amazon. All of those people are getting items elsewhere and selling them on Amazon to make money. So that says enough in itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's an inflated market there. Right. So we would ship. Amazon has a program called Fulfilled by Amazon, and they will actually store all of your products in their warehouses and then ship it to the customer for you. And they basically just take fees for that and they pay you out the rest. So that was something that was really like, you know, bright light for me because one, I don't have to trade my time for money, packing boxes all day, going to the post office and shipping them. I can still create this life that I want of being able to travel and write and just kind of manage everything from a laptop. Um, But we couldn't send orders directly from Target straight to Amazon warehouses because they'd be like, what, what is this? You know, this doesn't make any sense. So we found a warehouse. Um, there were a couple different ones that I used, but find warehouses and basically tax free sales, tax free States. You ship items from these websites to these sales tax free States. So you get a cheaper price there cause you're not paying the sales tax. And then these companies will receive your products and they will basically take off all of the old tags prices. They'll put new tags on, put new packaging around them, um, and then they will send them into Amazon based on the shipments that you create to send to Amazon. So you don't have to actually touch anything. So we're getting all the information scraped. We're making logical decisions based on 
kind of the economics of, of the market on what products that we want to buy. And then we're sending them to a warehouse in say New Hampshire. They're packing everything up for us, making sure it all looks good, making sure it meets Amazon standards. And then they're shipping them to Amazon warehouses. Amazon then moves them all over the country to many different warehouses and then fulfills them as people buy them. And then they pay us back out. That is so interesting, dude, and sounding so complicated. But I'm assuming at this point you, you've got it dialed like it's pretty easy in clockwork now, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a pain in the ass still, though, because Amazon's a monster. They do a lot of crazy things because they've gotten so big so fast they can't control their own company. And they've got all these bots working. So there's basically zero seller support, but they have this really harsh side of like suspending sellers or freezing your accounts or holding your inventory hostage. And you can end up losing a lot of money that way. And I've gone through some hiccups where in, I mean, in early 2017, I lost like $40,000 from them freezing and suspending my account over an issue that couldn't even be revealed. They didn't even know why they did it, but I was down for, you know, 30 days, had to lay off all these people, lost a lot of money. And it really put me back into a debt hole um, cause you're, you have a, it's a massive amount of overhead, first of all, because you're spending so much money on physical inventory. Um, so the cash flow is really important and these little hiccups can, can make things a pain in the ass, but systems, man, everything comes down to the systems. Yeah. We have, I have the most amazing team. I swear. I love every single one of them and we're up to like almost 15 people now and it's automated. Like I have meetings with them every Tuesday and I look at items coming in and out and I even do most of the buying myself nowadays just because I'm doing bigger bulker purchases, but and I want to, you know, have eyes more on the business as margins have been getting smaller and smaller because there's more people doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's cool. It's complicated, but it's really not like, like anything else in life. If you just figure it out, you can, you can really make it work. You know, if you, if you understand something, you can make it work. And I think it's important to study things you're interested in so that you can, you can do that. Wow. Yeah. I did my brain. I'm just running through all the things I'm thinking of doing, how to, how to do it in the same systematic way that you have. Um, it's really cool, dude. Yeah. Thanks for being so candid with how you do this. Um, is it, it's obviously a highly competitive market. It is, but it, it Amazon's so it's like such a, such a fast paced market that like, even if there's a competitor on the listing, so like Amazon's different from eBay in the fact that you have multiple sellers on one listing. So for every product, there's actually only one listing for that product and it could have 20 to 30 sellers on it. And only one of those sellers gets a buy box. So there's all these different things that play into if you're going to be the seller that gets that buy box and gets the sale. But if you understand the metrics and the sales velocity and the pricing history and all of these different things, the way that you know, I spent many years analyzing, you can be the one who, who does that. So competition isn't that, it's not too terrible. I mean, it's not something other than a lot of like automated algorithms that basically reprice items and keep, there's something called a penny dropper where people will, if you match their price, their algorithm will automatically drop their price a penny. And then what happens is you can have an item that's priced at $30 go all the way down to like 15 in one day because it's constantly going one penny, one penny, one penny because you're chasing a penny dropper. So that happens a lot and you can lose money. And there's, there's plenty of headaches there as with any business that you would want to start. But you can't look at them like, you know, they're, they're not going to teach you something because bad things, bad things fucking happen, man, right? Like how often do you find 
bad things and use them to your advantage. Like use the silver lining, learn from the experience and use it as motivation to move closer to your higher self or this version of yourself that you want to become or this business that you want to make. Um, or alternatively, you could take that bad news and let these these stressed gremlins and, uh, basically come in and have a disco party in your brain until you also, once again, wake up face down, pants down in the bushes, um, or in your garage, you know, you never know. So your butthole. Okay. After that, dude, (laughs) did you get it checked out and made sure like that was a kosher kind of, (laughs) I was, I was actually a little bit concerned just given that I was at a Catholic church beforehand, but I do, I will say that my neighbor across the street at the time was this dude who had just been released from prison and he was put in government housing and they put him in this nice neighborhood and he was, dude, he was a crackhead. He was crazy. And he was in jail for like 20 years on some felony. And that next, when I, I remember coming to and like waking up and walking out to my car and realizing that it's still running gas tanks, almost on E, I, I was like, I couldn't, I parked it in the middle of my front yard. He's standing outside screaming at me, you motherfucker, you crazy, you fucking crazy white boy. He was just screaming at me. And I, and I remember that and I, cause I was like, wait, this guy's telling me that I'm crazy. Like you're crazy. And then I was like, wait, I, I, I don't know what, like, what am I doing? You know, this is insane, but you know, uh, yeah, you know, you know, you held your own then with whatever <laughs> happened. You held your own. <laughs> I held, I held my own. Who knows? So, I mean, you through your pot, like this is your primary source of income. Yeah. The, um, arbitrage. It is. I just started a new company that is actually, probably profiting more than the Amazon recently. And it's also something to do with e-commerce. Um, it's related in very many different ways, but it's a, a much higher profit, lower overhead type of digital business that I really, really like. And I'm trying to transition more into it as opposed to the physical products that, I mean, I want to sell and create my own physical products that I make, which I've started doing. But as far as reselling items, I want to transition out of that pretty soon. Can you talk about but what yeah. you've started that's kind of growing fast? Yeah. So when we started Rage Create, um, what is Rage Create? Just so we understand. So Rage Create is it is a motivational company that's more based around like human productivity, affirmations, mindset. But it's not all the way built out yet. I, I ran a Kickstarter for it in 2017 with, we went to the Philippines with our team and did it. We were successful and we basically launched a product, which was just an affirmations card deck that it's really, it's stuff that I, I mean, it's my own writing, but it, it was, I saw a gap in the market there and I have a really good witty sense of humor and I know affirmations really well, but everything out there was really woo woo and just like kind of like spacey. I wanted something that was more down to earth and gritty and like real you know, like if you don't do these things, you know, you might end up pissing your pants or shitting yourself. And I'm not afraid to use that type of language on these affirmation cards. Let's see what happens. Well, the world responded in a pretty drastic way and they seem to like them. And that product has taken off. It's called sweet ass affirmations considerably. And that is a passion product. Cause I'm like this, I, I have this printout behind me that I just, my mom just sent me not because she made it for me, but cause she has a printer. Um, I collected all these notes people had sent me over the past year and dude, it's like, I mean, hundreds of these letters of people just telling me how much these cards have helped change them. And I, 
like I cry when I read them. I like I melt in it as an, as a sensitive introverted dude, it means the world to me much more than any type of money could ever mean. And so the premise behind rage create was to build something that we could, you know, create journaling systems and affirmation decks and productivity, um, notepads and stuff like that, that could actually help people become better versions of themselves. Well, we put a lot of money from the other businesses into it and it just ate, dude, it just ate up like 40 or 50 grand and we got nothing back. The decks were selling, but everything else we did, I hired a marketing coach that I thought was like this thug and ended up being a bust and I paid them a bunch of money and I lost so much. And then we ran all these Facebook ads that didn't work. And it was the most frustrating fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Um, created a professional video and like, so in the midst of all that though, like back to the silver lining, you know, we can, we can let these things beat us down until we end up face down, pants down, or we can learn from them. I actually started talking to Jason and was like, dude, let's, let's look at what we know about e-commerce and then use rage create to move into marketing business that kind of, we can support this affirmation and self-help side, um, in the front, but on the back end, let's, let's actually do something that is marketing based that can, that can bring in money to support all of this. So we, we decided to take, it's like selling shovels to the gold rush, man. There's so many Amazon sellers out there, but most of them don't know how to find products to buy and resell. Mm -hmm. And since we had built this automated team that was just scraping these sites and creating these spreadsheets full of products to buy and resell every day, we were like, couldn't we just put this into like a presentable spreadsheet and turn it into a digital subscription service where somebody gets this spreadsheet every day? nice fancy products that they can buy and resell with all of the metrical information available. Um, that soon became something called FBA lead list, which is up at FBA lead list.com now. Um, and we thought, okay, like we have to limit the number of spots on this because otherwise it would just jeopardize the integrity of the leads. We don't want too many people having access to these leads. So we decided that we would allow 44 people in on each list and we priced it at $185 a month. And after three months of just trial, testing it out, getting it set up with a team, having, you know, the, the emails automated with ConvertKit and making sure that like the leads were being found, they were being analyzed correctly by our team. They were being put together in a spreadsheet correctly and then delivered correctly. And it was all working flawlessly without us having to do any more work on it. Then I was ready to like go, okay, let's promote this. Cause I don't want to sell something that's shitty and that rips people off. Cause I've been ripped off too many fucking times on the internet and it's, it's frustrating, right? Like there's so much shit out there. It's just dog shit, like courses, all these things that aren't real. I didn't want to do that. So we made it really good. And then we, we, we put it up for sale and we didn't have an email list for this type of thing yet. And I went around and very harshingly on myself, uh, I luckily had done all these interviews. So I had had conversations with big names before, but I was going to like these big ass Amazon influencers and saying, Hey, will you promote this product? And we'll pay you an affiliate commission. Like just trying to get one of their email lists to blast out correctly. You know, well, one dude finally was like, yeah, I'll promote it. And he's just happened to be one of the bigger influencers in the Amazon teaching sphere. And within, so like, I would say a month before we launched that email, I was looking at bankruptcy papers because of how bad cash flow had turned into from my old business and how much money we lost with Rage Create. I literally, my fiance walked away from me a month before my wedding uh, in 2018, September. 
by mid 2019, I was looking at bankruptcy papers. I didn't know what the fuck was going on, man. I was like, I created, I've sold millions in products and I'm sitting here looking at like beans on my plate and wondering how am I going to, like, if I can't make it with that, like what is going to take? And, and my partner's losing his shit even more than me. He's saying he's shutting down all of his businesses and he's going to go work at Jimmy John's or some shit. I was like, so we're trying to like hold each other together. We don't know what's going to happen. We, I'm like, trying to get all of these people to sign up. Nobody wants to do it. But eventually this guy is like, yeah, I'll share it. I didn't know what the expectation was going to be, but he sent an email out and within like an hour and a half, we sold out the entire list, 44 slots at $185 per month. It's reoccurring. So immediately that's like, you know, $7,500 per month. That's going to be coming in as income. And it was very little overhead. Our team costs for the entire system was about three grand. So we're looking at legit like a $4,000 profit, which is something that can be lived off of even split between two people if you're really, really bare bones. I felt a little bit better about myself, but I still had $100,000 debt from the first business um, from some hiccups. So in bad investments, basically. So then we we just – I went hard into that dude and um, I decided to create it. We, we decided to put out a second list, put out the second list. It sold out. So we have two full lists that are sold out and it's been, you know, seven or eight months now on reoccurring and that, 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 that revenue doubled, but our team still stayed about the same. So instead of, you know, $4,000 profit, we're now getting 10 to $11,000 profit per month. Um, and we have a third list that's halfway done and we're listening to our customers. We're have a crazy high retention rate on the people buying the products, um, barely any people drop off. It's kind of amazing. And it's this digital service that's kind of opened my mind to this entire possibility of like, wow, like softwares, reoccurring services, like all these things you can do online that don't actually require physical products and trying to move more into that realm. Um, and then work mainly on my favorite passion trade, which is just writing and helping people that way. Wow, dude. Bravo, dude. Very fucking cool to hear. Very cool. Are these all virtual assistants that you're using? Yeah, I they're all virtual assistants. One of the things I I promised to myself when I started in the very beginning when I hired my very first virtual assistant, which was scary to do because you don't want to give up control, right? You think like no one can do the job as good as you and it's such bullshit. Um, I, I promised myself that I would never hire anybody who wasn't allowed to make their own schedule or work on their own hours and – I wasn't ever going to stalk them and be like, hey, show me exactly everything you're doing every hour of the day and prove to me that you're doing it. As long as this work is getting done, you're free to be wherever you want and do it whenever you want. And yeah, so they're all virtual. I have one mainly mostly in the Philippines, man, because they're brilliant. The money that you pay them goes so far for them out there and let and yet it's like half of what it costs you to get a place a person in the US. And um, so it's beneficial on both sides. And then I have one full-time U.S. employee as well. And she's just like there to thug out landing pages and manage teams. And she's amazing. Uh, I don't know where I'd be without her. Nice. This is So this is the new venture you're referring to. This is kind of the thing that's growing legs that is generating that kind of passive income-ish. They work. They work. The, the same team works within both companies. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. and then, but, and the other one is still viable or is it, you're going to shut that down? It is. No, I mean, I ended up, I did pretty good last year. I mean, not good, but like the cash flow is really nice. 
It's just it's not profiting much, but it's super high cash flow. So that cash flow I can take and fund other little things to get them started. And that's important. One main thing that I really want to get into more is real estate because I do think it's an amazing thing. If you can get high cash flow, take a little bit of that out and fuel it into getting some down payments on properties, that's a that's a really smart long-term play for anybody. And it's the next big mountain that I that I kind of want to learn. So you're a digital nomad though. Like you consider yourself somebody who's location dependent and wants to live abroad. Or are you pretty happy in the States? I know you come and go. Um, I'm moderate in between. So I like to actually, I'm not like Mick go is in, I don't travel constantly. I have a dog and she's like my daughter. Um, so I like to do more of like, I'm home for three months intensively and then I'm gone for a couple months and then I'm home. And now that I, not in that long-term relationship. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of be on my own schedule, but it's, it's important for me as an introvert and as somebody who is really deeply creative to have a three month period where I can build something feasible and then feel comfortable about it and then walk away from it and see how it does. And I can generally do that if I'm traveling, but I don't prefer it. I live in Portland and I have this amazing apartment that, it's dude, it's like 900 bucks a month, month to month. It's crazy for Portland. Like places here are for, it's a two bedroom. So I have an office. It's, it's like half the cost of what you're getting anywhere else. And, um, I can't walk away from it, but it's just me and a bunch of plants, some sound bowls, some crystal pyramids and <laughs> a lot of weird meditation shit. You know? <laughs> um, I'd like to kind of dive into that weird meditation shit because I know that's a big part of your life. Do you, are you still partying? Like, do you still casually drink or have you kind of signed off on all that stuff? Yeah, I'm a bit of an extremist. So like I, I don't have an addictive personality per se to where I think I would ever become an alcoholic or anything like that because I have such a strong sense of self-control now. I mean, I literally meditate for over an hour a day. Um, I'm very intentful with self time. Like I take a good two to three hours per day of just thinking, reading, journaling. And it's, if I don't do it, I lose my shit. But yeah, I like, I like beer. I like red wine. I like scotch. I like gin. I just don't, you know, hound them like I used to. And if I do, like I just climb, I was just in Africa working at this. So I go work at a refugee school out there um, in Uganda. It's a little town called Misese. And it's one of the most amazing heartfelt things that I do. And then I went after that down to Kilimanjaro and I had just done these big liver cleanses. I passed like 300 gallstones, dude. It was insane. I was working with this crazy, he's brilliant, but it's like this, this old Chinese acupuncturist dude in Tennessee who like the first time I visited him was like, Oh, you've got gallstones and liver stones. You need to pass them. And I'm like, what? Like, come on, man. Gave me a specific diet cleanse over a, a week. I did it the first time. Nothing happened. I did it the second time. Holy shit. I passed literally 300 stones. I didn't drink for 100 days, and I often do all of my habit streaks in 100 days. So I'll, I'll like really cleanse myself for a period of time, and then you know for a month or so, I'll just moderately have you know wine with dinner, go out with friends, do whatever. I can – I can still be social even without drinking. I'll drink a non-alcoholic beer or something I've learned. But yeah, I I like psychedelics a lot, you know. I do I do love LSD and psilocybin and plant medicine ceremonies. I like um engaging with things that teach me and 
I'm just not the type of person who's going to be doing like any hardcore speed drugs or anything like that or opiates. Um, those are the things that I think could get, get somebody in trouble. Yeah. So the title of your podcast, Never Stop Peaking Podcast, I mean, is it a reference to like peaking on a high or peaking in optimal performance or both or none? Or can we talk it's about all of the, It's all of the above? It, it's all of the above, man. It's kind of, it's kind of a brilliant – yeah, it's it's not just it's it's personal optimization in every way. You know, how can you keep climbing to be the best version of yourself? And you're going to have dips, but you're having a dip and that just means you get to peak again, right? So it's it's about reframing your mind to be the best version of yourself possible and understanding the habits that fuel your ability to do that and understand the resistance and the fear that that basically shuts you down. Because like I said earlier, we, we all have enough motivation. We're born with it. We just have these layers that are stacked upon us. I don't think that anybody out there is in a position where they're incapable of creating a better version of themselves. The main obstacle is hesitation. It's like we, we give ourselves seconds, and that's all it takes. It's just a couple seconds. There's so many things in the world that knock us off of our focus in a couple seconds. Even if we get a good idea, we see a billboard, it distracts us. We get a text, it distracts us. We swipe right on Tinder it just, or Grindr or whatever the fuck, it distracts you. You know, like it, there's all these things that knock you off your focus in just a couple seconds. But why not things that remind you to get back on focus? And, and it, I just – you attract who you are. Right? You affirm the life that you want to live. And if you can be that optimal person and keep moving towards these things that support your habits and you can break your habit of hesitation, I don't care if it's like waking up in the morning and counting backwards from five and jumping out of your bed. Like if you get in a situation where you're resisting, count, count down from five and take the action. Cause that's all that it takes, man. You can ask any entrepreneur, any creative, any successful person in the world, and they will tell you that the number one thing that fuels their success is them just taking the action and doing the thing that scares them the most. And it's important. Like, it's the most important thing. Yeah, I like what you say on your website where it says, uh, your business success is a reflection of your personal success. That really struck home to me. And, like, um, and I'm looking at my business success, success right now, and it's like not where I want to be. So that as a reflection of maybe my personal success, which is not where I want it to be. And I need to really kind of dig deep and look into that and, and strive in, a, in maybe a different way and take myself and lean into that thing I'm afraid of and make quicker decisions instead of hesitating. But um, going into your podcast a little bit more and, and kind of, I think, some pretty significant plant medicine that you've done that's changed your perspective on the world. I mean, I know in one of your podcasts you talk about your ayahuasca experiences. Have you ever done iboga or ibocaine? I have not done iboga, but I did just in, I just released a podcast interviewing uh, Levi, who is from the iboga wellness center in Costa Rica, and it was a really good episode. Um, you know, I a lot of people would say like, I wouldn't do that. That's the craziest one. That's the most intense one. But for some for some reason, man, I like I'm pretty sure I I would do it. You know? Have you? No, no, I, I'm fearful of, um, hallucinogenics. <laughs> I've done mushrooms and I've had mostly bad experiences, <laughs> maybe two good ones. I am interested. Yeah. So go ahead. Can I, can I comment on that? Yeah. Psilocybin is very interesting because I've also had that similar experience where almost every time it gets really deep in my head and it really makes me confront things. It's, it's very, it doesn't seem to be that way with everybody else. You know, everyone else seems to have, but for some reason I have that same experience with psilocybin and, and 
I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's not near like they're all completely different animals and experiences. And, and I don't think you should be fearful just because you're, you know, because of the way you experience that essentially. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Cause yeah, I'm not really schooled in the differences between each one. So I'd like the audience to hear a little bit more about your experience with the ayahuasca. Cause I know that was profound for you and is profound for you. And I've had other people talk about it. Can you describe how that's impacted your life? Oh man, it is real. It's, it's like, it's like if you're abducted by an alien and they put all this information into your body and for an hour long, you know, everything that ever happened in the world. And then you have to come back and you don't have a computer big enough to hold the memory. Um, it's really fascinating. I, I learned about love, self-love. So I think my biggest theme was why do I have this pattern in my life of being in relationships where I feel like I'm the only one that's giving or I'm giving, 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 but I'm not getting anything back. Or, you know, why do I feel like I'm trying so hard, but there's nobody that's here to like, tell me that it's going to be okay. Or like, you know, comfort me. Why do I always feel like I'm so alone? And I realized in my experience with ayahuasca and mother ayahuasca is, is just the most amazing thing. Like she's, (laughs) it's, it's hard for anyone who hasn't done it to, to understand, but like she's real. She talks to you. She works through things with you and it is miraculous in every single way. And she walked me through basically the healing of self-love and taught me how to receive love for the first time. And it wasn't that I was never receiving it in the past. It was actually just that I was not allowing myself to receive it. You know, I was blocking the love that was coming to me. I just didn't know it. And so she showed me like basically every relationship that I'd ever been in thing, people I never even remembered, man, from like the time I was like three years old to just any girl that I ever had any type of interaction with ever. She put them all on like a, a root of her tree. She she comes in many different forms, but in this particular incident, she was actually a tree, which is very common for her. Um, she pulled up all these roots and she had every single person I'd ever been in a relationship with on, on the roots. And she showed me in this strangely enough weird way, like went through every interaction of every relationship that I've ever had all in this small period of time. But like time bends in that realm. So you're not in this physical plane. You're in that plane. Time's not the same. So it's hard to understand that definition of time because here it's different. But like we went through all of that and I saw every interaction and I saw all of the moments where love was given to me and I saw exactly how I blocked it all out. And she showed me that every single relationship that comes into our lives, no matter who it is, it doesn't matter if it's a parent or a spouse or a friend or a teacher or a mentee, it doesn't matter who it is. Every single person is a projection of yourself there to teach you something to help you grow in some way. And you are the same thing for them. So it goes both ways. They're not just there to help you, but like every time they interact with you, you're also helping them see their projections of themselves and so that they can then grow and move through um, trauma or blockages or limitations and and expand into a more peaceful mindset and, and really just understanding that everything comes down to unconditional love. If you remove judgment and jealousy from the world, 
you do it by removing it from your world first. Like you're not going to do it by changing other people. If you can work on your habit of catching yourself when you're about to judge, catching yourself when you're about to shame yourself or when you're about to shame somebody else and then reframe that thought in your head, that's magic, man. It's brilliant. It, it changes every moment. So when you start going through things that are super harsh um, and you start experiencing you know, trauma – you don't have to let it affect you like it would have before. You can actually just love into it for what it is, understand that it's something too, you know, and it has to come in and there's a reason for it. And you can either let it cripple you or you can use it to move forward and be a better version of yourself. And I know from my perspective, I'm only interested in moving forward at this point. And I think everybody should be. Um, it's just, it's okay if you're in a position where you're not yet because you'll get there. But you cannot get there unless you try and you have to be willing and you have to be able to put in the hours and the misery to be able to get there. It's, there's just no getting around that. So, yeah, it was impactful. Sounds like it, dude. Well said. I, I think the way you described you know, being basically downloaded with all this information, when you come out of it, you don't have the memory stick to hold it all. So I, I relate to that and just other descriptions I've heard where it's like people can't really articulate what they learn from it, they know it's changed them. But at the same time, the, it's more or less like the path has been shown and they have to continue to practice and work and try to maintain or stay on that path because it's just showing you a direction. And if you don't work it, you lose it. Yeah. And ayahuasca is interesting because she actually stays with you as a, like she lives within you as opposed to like psilocybin. I don't feel like really does that for me at least. Obviously, LSD is kind of in and out. It doesn't really live within you. She's, she's like a very living medicine that stays with you and reminds like you'll get reminders and in, in images and glimpses when you're in situation. It's really, I don't want to say eerie because eerie has a negative context. It's really fascinating. Like you can just feel that presence still there. And like, even I haven't done ayahuasca in 15 months now or something. And I feel like I did it yesterday. Hmm. And it's not something I feel like this, there's too big of a problem with people that hear about it now and they flood down there and they do it and they go home and they don't know how to integrate it. So they think that the next step is just to go do it again because it creates some sort of like two week blissful aha moment. But then they lose it again because they don't integrate it and then they go back down and do it again. And like the psychonautic like just constant loop of doing psychedelic after psychedelic after psychedelic and getting these blown open mind moments, but not actually ever integrating it. I think that's very dangerous and I think it's, it's not healthy for anybody. So I think it's important to take time and, and like really journal and try to figure out what was that, that I was learning and have I been able to take those lessons and apply them? And do I feel like I've become that person that I was taught I could be in that moment? And then when you get to that level kind of looking at it again and saying, okay, do I have another intention that I need to work on? Should I go and revisit, revisit this medicine? Um, I think that's kind of important to say. No. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that with the people who are listening who might be interested in doing, it. I think that's a responsible way to approach it. Um, pre-show you said you are going to another ceremony. It sounds like down in Mexico here pretty soon. Yes. Yeah, so I wasn't, I, I was originally scheduled to go do it. And it just didn't feel like I was being that called recently. So I pulled out, but then something happened in the last two days where I got recontacted by the space, my friend Joey. And he was like, it's an actual program that they set up to, um, help heroin addicts. 
and it's it's remarkable what it does for trans trans I mean lifelong heroin addicts being um, cleaned out and just reset. And then as long as they have integration, they can stay that way. But if without integration, again, it can it can go back down the rabbit hole. Um, I, I just had a conflict with like kind of opening my energy space up to being around a lot of people that were going through some really heavy stuff. And I didn't necessarily feel – I didn't know if I was going to be up for it because I figured I would be down there holding a lot of space for them and not really being able to work on myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's late March and – I'm on the fence there. I'm going to Mexico regardless. And as of today, I'm feeling more called that I probably will be doing that, but I'm not hundred percent positive yet. Ibocaine does the same thing for, um, opioid addicted people, right? Yeah. So Ibogaine is the actual Iboga actually. Iboga in itself is the most powerful thing for curing opiate addiction. Yet it is very, Danger, it's it's dangerous in a way that, you know, if you're not monitored by a doctor, like it could kill you. Um, because if you go in there and you're just like straight off the pills and you haven't actually done a detox at all, like a week long detox with a doctor or anything, it can be very harsh on your body from what I understand um, from doing research. And then the last interview that I did, anyone who wants to learn more about that, you can go listen to that episode. Um, it's like 26, up. 26 or something. But um after a boga or anyone who does end up using ibogaine, which is an alkaline, I believe that comes from iboga, it's not technically the same type of thing, but it, it, it's used in a similar way, um, to help opiate, to help people swing off their opiate addictions. Generally what happens is they do iboga and then they do ayahuasca and they do ayahuasca series. So iboga, I think you only need it like once or twice ever, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> from what I understand, it's, it's intense. And then ayahuasca is more of like, let's clean everything up and heal it after your detox type of thing. So I've heard it described as the male plant and ayahuasca is the female plant. And yeah. So like, like the grandfather and the grandmother. Yeah. And like the grandfather kind of beats it into you, the iboga yeah. or the grandmother or whatever. She's more nurturing and kind of takes you by the hand and, and nurtures you down the a healing path. Yeah, ayahuasca is oh man, she is so beautiful and nurturing and motherly. I I have also heard iboga is it's like my friend Justin, he runs Flow Conscious magazine. He's one of the most fascinating and brilliant people I've ever met. He told me and he's done. This is a type of guy who tries everything because he wants to experience it, right? I mean, like he's even done like a year worth of being a fruititarian where he only ate fruit for a year. Like that's insane. But he said that it was like being locked in a dark cage where every insecurity about yourself that you've ever had is multiplied by like a thousand and put right in front of you and you can't escape it. <laughs> Jesus, that sounds terrible. And it lasts and, like and he 24 said, hours. Oh, yeah, but like it lasts for a lifetime given that type of time that you're in. Mm -hmm. Like when you're in those spaces, it's not the same as a 24-hour period here. Like it can feel like you lived an entire life in that world before you come back. And – um you know, it's, he says, he said it's the best thing that he's ever done though. And he's done almost everything. And he said, it is the most impactful thing that I have ever consumed and ever been a part of. And I would, he's like, I'm not sure I would do it again. He's like, but I, it's the one thing that I am most proud of doing because it helped me out so much in my journey. So I was like, well, I guess, you know, that's the key. Like the darker you go, the, 
the more it, it probably just cleans out so many blockages, man. Because if it makes you confront all those things, it's helping you clear them, right? So, yeah, dude, I don't know. That scares me. <laughs> so, yeah. the, uh, the Never Stop Peaking podcast. Can you tell me a little bit uh, more about the the premise of the podcast? I mean, you just bringing on anybody who wants to talk about spiritual healing and. Um, using plant medicines or does it have a specific purpose that you're trying to utilize it for? It's really just deep conversations about evolving the self, um, the heart, the self, the mind, expanding everything. It's not just plant medicine. I've only had a few episodes based around that. I've had a lot of entrepreneurs. I had the guy that I met on the plane that I told you about earlier, Jared on Gaza he was one of the early episodes. Uh, it's his whole story and like all of the universal synchronicities that we had, which are really insane entities that kind of, um, followed both of us and explaining that to each other and realizing that it was the exact same thing. It's just really weird out of the world conversations, but it's not, yeah. And I've had some around travel based on around travel and, um, just anybody who I feel like is deeply, and passionately moving in a direction that, that they love, I'm always happy to talk to and, and learn from. Um, and I, I really just do it by, you know, universal synchronicity and, and introductions. I'm not out there hunting, but it seems like if you have an intention, things start to show up in life. And that's kind of what that podcast has been. So I do a little bit of a, a solo segment at the beginning of every episode. And then it generally goes into an interview and, yeah, it's it's fun, man. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. So yeah, I'm pumped to get you over there, and we can rage another conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, folks. He's uh, invited me on his podcast. We'll be doing that in another week or so. And he does a great job, folks, so you should check him out at uh, Never Stop Peaking Podcast. I'm, I'm assuming it's on all podcast platforms and Spotify, iTunes, Pandora. Yeah, yeah, it is. The links are at heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast. Cool. But yeah, it. you could just find it by searching. I'll put it in the show notes. If you could talk to one audience member who's heard this story and maybe has apprehensions to start that business, maybe travel, maybe even do an ayahuasca ceremony, can you talk to them a little bit and just make them feel comfortable with that decision or give them some parting words of wisdom? <laughs> oh, man. I see myself and everybody. You know, like it's it's really interesting because I empathetically feel everybody's position and I understand that whole resistance, you know, wall that is standing there living to fuck the days up. So if I'm talking to you, which would just be my former self, I would say that, you know, every day is a bonus round, slow down and enjoy something beautiful. My very second interview that I ever did was with a guy named Sarab Mirmont. He was a Hollywood director. I could not believe that he said yes. And it was really the reason that I started podcasting in the first place because I couldn't say no at that point, right? I was just like, oh my God, this Hollywood director, he won the International Film Festival. He's going to talk to me. And he literally said, dude, in, in the very beginning when I didn't know anything, right? I had no skills. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. He said, just slow down and enjoy something beautiful, man. And I put that behind that that first part of every day is a bonus round and i was just like i wrote it down and that actually became uh one of the cards in the affirmation deck and it's probably the most shared thing that i give to everyone it's so quick and it's easy but there's so much power built into that quote so yeah just don't worry so much like slow down if you're gonna go do something take action because you can't 
do anything unless you take action. And you know, you're a sexy motherfucker. Everybody needs you. We need, we need more people like you in the world. And, um, I think if there's four things, man, and I, and I've talked about this on my website that immediately I can trace my success back to for anybody that's listening, that is in a position where you want to move forward. I think number one is I, I decided to be myself, my true self. I stopped faking. I stopped pretending. I stopped trying to live a life that I wasn't meant to live no matter what, you know, you have to decide to be yourself. Your voice is your voice. Your thoughts are your thoughts. And they're beautiful in ex- every single way that they are. They're perfect. You have to stop caring about things that tradition and society want you to care about. Examples, money, materials, status, you know, fucking swiping right, whatever. Like, stop caring about the things that tradition wants you to care about. All the things that they're putting in front of your face and saying, you must pay attention to this. Release yourself of that. Start ignoring people who are not in line with your visions and start befriending people and seeking people who are. What do you want to learn? Like, who do you want to become? What kind of area do you want to be hanging out in? What kind of people do you want to be hanging out with? If you're around people that aren't in that description, slowly move yourself away from it. It doesn't mean you have to be like, hey, dude, fuck you. I hate you. I don't want to hang out with you anymore. I'm better than you. Like, it doesn't have to go that way. Just slowly draw yourself back. Instead of going to the bar and pounding shots of Jameson, stay home and read a book by an author and then send them an email and let them know how much you enjoyed that chapter and see if they reply, you know, try to get a, try to get in to see if you can make a relationship there. Befriending people is, I mean, I can't, I think out of everything I've ever done, it's like just meeting people like you, right. And understanding that there is something brilliant about this connection. There always was, and it was coming before and after that we've connected and it's going to continue to spread. Just, just put yourself around better people is all I'm saying. And then I think the last thing was, You have to start creating habits that strengthen your mind and keep yourself from making weak decisions. And you basically learn how to do that from surrounding yourself with new friends who have better habits. Like you put yourself around people who are performing better. You're going to start performing better. And I was doing none of those things before. And as I started doing all of those things, I really realized that I had two different limitation circles in my life. One was the outer circle, which was just like my my ment like my mental limits, right? Like I'm sorry, the inner circle mentally, what am I keeping myself from doing? And the outer circle is my physical limits. Like I can't, I can't jump from my seat to the moon, right? Or I can't, I can't, uh, you know, stab myself in the heart and then come back to life. It's just not going to happen. How do you get that inner circle to expand to your outer circle? And by doing that, you're using habits, like what, what can you do every single day to move towards that better version of yourself? And there's going to be all these things swimming around in between the circles that are trying to knock you off of your, your expansion. And those things are fear and resistance and procrastination and distractions. Um, so if you can eliminate those distractions and, and kind of fill that void out with your habits, you're going to do really, really well and just do it. Just fuck it. Like quit hesitating, break your habit of hesitation, spread those butt cheeks open and shove in that unicorn horn. I love it, dude. And then everyone can come <laughs> find you at Never Stop Heating Podcast. And then the the sweet ass affirmations. Where can people buy those? They are on Amazon and RageCreate.com. 
Sweet, dude. Heath, it's been such a pleasure, my friend. My mind is blown. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, dude. Awesome, Heath. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, it was such a pleasure. I felt instantly connected to you. You're a special human being, beautiful misfit and reject. And you, the listener, I want you to know I think you are so beautiful as well. Thank you for joining me week in and week out, supporting misfits and rejects, buying my t-shirts, donating on Patreon. I appreciate all of you who do that. I appreciate all of you who just come every week and enjoy these episodes with me, with my guest. I hope you're getting as much out of them as I do. And I look forward to seeing you next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that Maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.